Hello and welcome to episode three of season one of our Poro podcast, Little Grey Cells. What? That's correct. You're oh, smiling. Sure. No, You're just enjoying it. You're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Philip Moore and with me today are Tom Francis. Hello. And Chris Thurston. Hello. Excellent. Uh, today we're covering the adventure of Johnny Waverley, and I believe Chris, you have a personal connection to this I do. This I do mystery. have a, a connection to the adventure of Johnny Waverley um, because in this adventure, the adventure of Johnny Waverley, there's a little boy called Johnny Waverley. You might not have seen that coming, um, but the little boy Johnny Waverley, who doesn't do a huge amount in this episode, but it has at least one or two good scenes, uh, is played by my friend Dom. <laughs> um in his only ever as far as i can tell television acting role the i guess seven year old i'm trying to figure out how old six or seven yeah six or seven year old my friend dom it's really hard to tell with children in old-fashioned outfits because they sort of they dress like two-year-olds right up until they dress like <laughs> middle-aged bank managers right? <laughs> yes that's that's fair um i know dom as a uh, six foot four bearded commander of uh tie fighters <laughs> from the bristol x-wing community but uh pyro audiences know him as a little boy obsessed with a toy car johnny waverley that's nice. my connection to this episode excellent well we open upon the the toy car being played with do we not by my friend dom well <laughs> yes but I, I was and this episode, the adventure of my friend dom <sighs> anyway um so uh we we are introduced to johnny and his little car and then cut to the uh fancy fancy living room where mr waverly is shouting damn it ada (laughs) (laughs) this is england we don't go around kidnapping children indeed or whatever it was it's unthinkable that that someone could possibly kidnap a child in england Mm. it's not gonna happen Indeed. So they are obviously uh, in, in great consternation by the increasing sort of pre-ransom demands. Yeah. It's kind of like, give us the money, otherwise we will take your child for ransom. So, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine it happens a lot in real life. Although... Quite good gambit, I guess. Because if it works, then you've not done a crime. Because <laughs> you've threatened someone with kidnapping. That's, that's I think it's probably a crime. still a crime. But that is a crime. A very low effort crime. Yeah. <laughs> so extortion is easier than kidnapping, is what you've established, I think. But I think probably people wouldn't take it seriously, as indeed uh, these people do not. Um, because if you're told it's going to happen, then you can guard against it pretty well. Mm. <laughs> like Better than these guys do, anyway. <laughs> Well, it seems as though the parents taking it seriously, but, uh, and that's why, uh, when we cut to Poirot's place, uh, Poirot's office as Miss Lemon is about to miss the tisane time of 11am because of her in-depth filing project. What is um, a tisane? So it's, it's basically a, a, in infusion that is like a tea but not uh, involving like caffeinated stuff so it's, it's a herbal tea he likes his herbal teas <laughs> and he likes them at 11 a.m exactly pronto mm. so you know the fact that miss lemon is still you know fussing with uh with card indexes <laughs> i feel like we get a little insight into miss lemon's life here yeah she loves her filing and i totally identify with this i couldn't tell um She's telling Poirot about her new filing system and she's cross-referenced all of his cases in five different ways. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And when she says that, Prara has this kind of astonished reaction of five. And I couldn't tell if he was like excited or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> is he super into filing as well? I think that he's, it was that kind of fond, slightly condescending right. excitement. But I think that Miss Lemon just kind of is determined to take it as genuine because, <laughs> look, she's spent a lot of time on this mm. filing system and it's making her happy, quite frankly. I feel like Poirot here lapses into the pretend excitement he reserves for when Hastings has tried to help <laughs> because she is actually helping. And you can foresee a situation, hypothetically, where this filing system would actually be useful. Yeah. Well, because she sorted them by... um was it by suspects and by actual perpetrators by and witnesses. by type of crime and yeah sorry yeah witnesses and like and and she's got little systems for you know adultery and bigamy are both cross-referenced under marriage and like all of the little card catalog drawers are they're so cute Miss <laughs> Lemon is so awesome yeah. i love it <laughs> pyro does get to end this scene though by making a little jab at marriage as a concept framing him as having won the system by living as a bachelor surrounded by subordinate friends what was the because like bigamy and adultery are filed under also see marriage and then what was the other one was it murder it was yeah i think it's something like that she points to that and he goes also under marriage mm. yeah. so you know it's like his little is it like entrapment or something? I don't know. A jape! <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Um, but then um, Mr. Waverley turns up to uh, raise the matter of the pre-kidnapping and um, is just sort of c- concerned and looking to engage Poirot's assistance. And while this is happening, Hastings has opted to compete at Le Mans. <laughs> yep, that just comes up. <laughs> just wanders in to like tell Miss Lemon about his latest exploits and she's like, have you ever raced a car before? No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, like, Hastings and Cars is pretty close to a subplot of this episode, yeah. kind of just always there in the background. Uh, this is a, d- a deepening of the mystery of what does Hastings do? Because <laughs> he's just entered Le Mans for some reason. Um, <laughs> no experience. I've been accepted. He's just got confidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Confident, British, and rich. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's he and and idle is, is yeah. the crucial and thing. Absolutely credulous. It's, he also it's crucial to note. He reminds me so much of several like dads that I've known over the years who have got super into a hobby that they don't really know that much about but have at least three magazines on the subject and <laughs> yes. think that that equates to he's my actually, experience. It's very uh, endearing. Someone later in this episode actually uh, says when they're being arrested for vagrancy, they say, you can't do that, I've got 10 bob in my pocket, which implies the only difference between a vagrant and the idle rich is just how much that's money actually, you have. That's actually true, I think. I think that's an actual yeah. thing that you couldn't be arrested for homelessness back when that was something you could be arrested for if you could prove you had money on <laughs> I, I genuinely, I don't know exact quantities were, but I think that's an actual thing. We're skipping ahead a little bit, but I didn't you know. know that. Um, yes, I think, uh, Hastings reminds me a lot of my uncle. I, I've got a, I've got a lot of uncles, so I'm going to cover my bases there and not say which one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, and it's very sweet because he's instantly like, you know, this thing that he was very excited about when he walked through the door instantly goes out of his head as soon as he realizes that someone's in with Poirot who might have an interesting case to <laughs> talk about. And he just follows Poirot around for the rest know, of the episode. Yeah, so that's <laughs> even in this scene. Um, 
Waverly has come to Poirot with this, but uh, he says, you don't think it's serious, do you? Or you you don't think it's, uh, you don't think they they would possibly do it. So he sort of claims to, um, to not believe that, uh, that it is serious. He sort of oscillates, I think, because we, we see Waverly in a few different, we see him go like, you know, ridiculous, this would never happen in England. Um, to Poirot, to sort of a similar line. But then, to Jap saying like, why aren't you taking this seriously? This thing that could never possibly happen in England. Yeah. He, he doesn't take it seriously until someone else refuses to take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, how are you taking it seriously? <laughs> it's also very, he, he's very much the, um, I guess the caricature of a British person at the time, uh, you know, sort of the response isn't, you know, why aren't you helping my child when he's talking to Poirot? It's, um, damn the impertinence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of outrage mm. that someone is actually suggesting this rather than, and the thing that I quite like is when is, is Hastings is very much positioned as being of the same social class as Waverly by the fact that when he comes in and is, you know, caught up on the conversation or being caught up on the conversation, he goes, what, in England? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of go, starts to go down the same rabbit hole as... Oh, as I mean, he thinks a bit literally before. says, like, good one, must have been a foreigner. Yeah, <laughs> which Poirot does not like. <laughs> well, no, that. This is, I mean, you know, the thing that Poirot, the, the stories do a lot, which is position Poirot as the outsider uniquely capable of understanding that sometimes British people are bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, then so they, they go off to Scotland Yard and like make a point of leaving Miss Lemon to her filing and she just seems quite pleased about it, which I quite like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just She's going to have a night alone. in with a big <laughs> bottle of Lambrini and filing. <laughs> I think she'd probably go for like Shiraz or something. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. That was a little bit like, that was, that was maybe when she was a little bit younger. <laughs> big old Lambrusco. Oh, Miss Lemon. Oh, Sherry. Nice yeah. Sherry. Aww. Basically, she's going to get pissed up and do some filing. Yeah. Extreme filing with Miss <laughs> Lemon. Felicity Lemon. Um, anyway, yeah, so they go over to Japs, to, oh, to Scotland Yard, sorry. Like, to <laughs> Japs, Japs place. place. <laughs> to try and, like, well, Poirot, I think Poirot sort of wants to maybe cover his bases because this is the sort of thing that one would report mm. to the police, right? Mm. Um, and yeah, like they, he's, he's a bit like, yeah, but no crime has been committed, which is, is odd, or he doesn't take it seriously because obviously extortion is a crime. So it's like, if, if he is being extorted, like, Jack, come on, man. Not in England. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's England. It must be, must be hallucinating it. It's something not happening. <laughs> Although I think the interesting thing is that because you see the letter, don't you? It flashes up on the screen for a bit and it says, you know, you've got, uh, You've got to give us what thirty grand at the time, maybe. I think um, it's fifty grand by that point. Oh, it goes up to police, fifty, 50 grand. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we'll take your son on the twenty ninth, kind of thing. But I mean, I mean, I don't blame Jap almost for for dismissing it because it's like they haven't given any instructions on where to leave the money or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, any contact details for where any of this would need to go right so not to compare, i think there's quite a lot of things that don't quite work about this as a mystery and one of them is that the note says we will take your son on the 29th at exactly noon <laughs> which makes it feel like the most preventable threat yeah in history like well, it feels more like the start to like a jonathan creek or something you know where it's like oh well they've set up this impossible scenario where everyone's going to be in the right place at the right time yeah and, and then a crime 
Um, but I quite liked how, even though none of that holds up to scrutiny, they did remember to put the date really prominently as the 28th in Jab's office. <laughs> it's like, yeah, excellent. Did it? I mean, this is sort of, um, uh, picked up on by Poirot as, as the mystery. Like, why would they warn, uh, why would they warn you? And, I don't feel it's entirely explained by the end of it. I'm still not entirely sure why it was necessary to, to specify all of that. Similarly, I don't know why everyone sort of takes it at face value, mm. but we'll get to that. It's mm. quite, it is quite an interesting scenario because if you were warned like that, it would be clear. Like the thing I was thinking all through, um, not knowing how it would play out was obviously you're being manipulated into, you know, if you sent someone a threat like that, they would like, for sure guard their son really well at that particular time and i didn't really think it would play out this way but um uh i was imagining this would be a great way to commit another crime somewhere else because <laughs> <laughs> they send shitload of police there and uh resources would be thinner elsewhere and so you're trying to figure out like why would they um why would they want you to do this but at the same time you couldn't not do it even if mm. you thought you knew why you're being manipulated into overprotecting your son at this time you would still have to protect your son because if you didn't <laughs> you'd feel ridiculous but also i mean to be fair you could also just then kidnap him at any point that wasn't 12 yeah let's just do it the on, day before yeah know, exactly like, oh sure or the day after when everyone's chilled out like oh that didn't happen that's fine <laughs> but i mean you know and the other thing that you could do is coat your child in like something spiky or something <laughs> sticky or like so if anyone tries, child on to, fire. tries to grab them or you know, like coat them, those, like, coat them in something. Those thistle burrs that get stuck to you, and yeah, or that anti-climb paint. <laughs> you can't climb my child. You probably still kidnap them, but you can't climb them. Like whatever that thing, those ink bombs they put with like banknotes when they're in transport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. packed with them. <laughs> or like, we'll know which child it is when they're <laughs> kidnapped. If they try and trade them on the black market. Not like that era in British history, you won't. Like, which one of these urchins is it? But is that why like you caught them red-handed? It's because you're covered in dye from like the child. <laughs> thing yeah exactly <laughs> child security measure. basically why they didn't rig uh johnny waverly with some kind of ink bomb is a, is a uh, unfortunate subject that the episode is not satisfactorily a hedgehog costume <laughs> so cute and protective anyway no one kidnaps a hedgehog um so anyway not in England. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually so uh real public service announcement it's almost bonfire night uh before you light your bonfire this bonfire night try and kidnap every hedgehog that is in there <laughs> that's a real psa don't burn them alive no kidnap and them. um no, watch out for <laughs> salamanders as well the reason that salamanders are sort of in folklore thought to be creatures born of fire is because they live in like dark wet places and so often when you light a bonfire a load of salamanders oh, no! run out I'm like wow the fire created these salamanders <laughs> <laughs> no oh, you God. idiot you set fire to their house <laughs> <laughs> that's awful <laughs> Oh, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> no. This well, is no. too sad. Don't, don't think, about, think about this podcast as an opportunity to save some hedgehogs, which we just did. Okay, we'll I'll check with, for everything. Power. Don't do a bonfire. Watch one on TV. Watch, <laughs> watch like, there's video games now. But watch a video game bonfire. It's fine. Set a bonfire on the marble floor of your mansion. Yes. <laughs> then you'll know and for sure. And put up no a really clear no salamanders <laughs> Please. <laughs> Think Little. before you set fire to anything. That's what all we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't set fire to, to anything that will not like it. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, and then they, they're faced with the task of getting to the, 
to the mansion, the country pile, and Hastings offers Poirot a lift, which is not accepted for, you know, I think it's kind of like an, oh, all right, then, uh, uh, at this point in proceedings. But, um, so that means that Poirot is on the train delivering his lecture on how actually conscience is just everybody having a tiny policeman living there. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's worth unpacking this. <laughs> I fucking love this. So basically, uh, Mr. Waverley is, is, upset about the service he's really receiving from Scotland Yard because they don't believe him. And Poirot corrects him, I think, astutely to say that, well, you know, the prevention, you know, they can't be tasked with the perfect prevention of crime because that would require assigning a policeman to every citizen of the country. Um, however, thankfully, every every human being has a little policeman <laughs> inside their head. Um <laughs> And, you know, I think you just generously interpreted that as like a conscience or logic or a sense or a brain or whatever. I think it's like Jiminy Cricket, except Jiminy Cricket has a job. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think the more important interpretation of this is uh, Pyro indicates what he means, tiny policeman inside your head by just tapping himself on the, on the temple. Mm. But I think what he's doing is pointing to himself. He is the tiny (laughs) policeman. He did use to be a policeman. Everybody has. He did. And he's tiny. So, um, he is, he truly is every, British person's tiny policeman. <laughs> Is that just because you think he looks tiny in the opening credits? I think he's, I mean, he's, I am a small man. He's a small man. I feel a little bit of solidarity with this. <laughs> um, I, I just like the, the idea that he truly is the tiny policeman protecting all of us. But then he reveals with horror that he thinks the kidnappers have no tiny policeman in their head. Oh yeah, that's the best line in the show, actually. <laughs> yeah. What is the exact line again? Is it? I think perhaps our kidnapper has no tiny policeman. <laughs> No tiny policeman at all. Oh, that's so sweet. Anyway, yes. So and then they they arrive, don't they? And, and Hastings has got there ages ago. Yeah, He's so just having a nice cup of tea. Hastings is already there. In the dining room, just chatting away to Mrs. Waverley. I think she, he's chatting at Mrs. Yeah, Waverley. I love this because I don't think they intended this, but there's sort of an element of like, Hastings is already in your house about this, which is like, what have you been doing? Like, have you been chatting up this person's wife? They don't seem to like each other for the last 20 minutes, Hastings, but no, he's been telling her about Le Mans, the race he's definitely entering. It's worth uh, mentioning as well that when uh, when Hastings receives his letter of acceptance to Le Mans, he does confess to Miss Lemon that he doesn't know how to read it, because presumably it is in French. So he may not have been accepted <laughs> Just assumed. to Le Mans. It could be no, we don't know who you are. This is a race for racing drivers. You can't just sign up for Formula One. <laughs> like, I'll do that. You, that's not how it works, etc. We'll never know, will we? We will never know unless, it doesn't really unless the next episode up, is the um, the Hastings has to compete in Le Mans <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think also it was uh, there was one moment just before that when um, when Waverly and Poirot pull up to the house, which reminded me of that bit in Clueless where Cher's saying about how old her house is because it's like all oh, the columns date back to the eighties or the seventies, <laughs> and they're saying, "Oh yes, yeah, so this is the new house. It's uh, from seventeen sixty, and <laughs> we've been doing some renovations, as denoted by a single ladder and a piece of sheeting yeah. on the front door." <laughs> So, yeah. Yes, I suppose this is the first important clue that, like, uh, Waverly Manor, stately Waverly Manor is a bit of a, you know, it's a country pile. It is, it is not necessarily, uh, it, it's a shrinking estate. Mm. Mm. Still quite sizable. And it's, oh yeah, um, bigger than our house. It's interesting that, uh, Poirot is sort of really surprised that, uh, Waverly could, uh, you know, if necessary, um, get together 50,000 pounds 
And I wonder how much that house was worth in those times in pounds. Mm. Hmm. Be interesting to have a bit of a um, currency converter so that we mm. can get a sense of what that scope would be be um show us your receipts waverly <laughs> <laughs> but also i think that um it's it's just it's one of those things where it those houses gradually just became too big and too expensive to maintain and unfeasible and you know maybe in about 50 more years they would be doing little tours for you know opening it for visitors and only yeah. living in one wing of it and you know having a little gift shop and things <laughs> like that so or maybe they let the grounds out for bake-off indeed mm. that's the real twist ending to this <laughs> but yeah so uh but then it sort of cuts to poirot and hastings having a little little wonder and a chit chat about like well why hasn't he been kidnapped until now Kind of, you know. If this boy is so eminently kidnappable, why hasn't it <laughs> happened in England? Indeed. <laughs> Where that never happens. So, yeah, but that's kind of, I think that's more of an aside of like, you know, setting up that something isn't quite right while Hastings listens and then yeah. they... And credulously believes absolutely everything that's <laughs> happening. Yeah. But so, then dinner. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to um, uh, say this is pre-dinner. Hmm. And then there's dinner. <laughs> which is a great scene <laughs> in many ways there is there are several good things about this scene um some of which will become more important than others later so why are they talking about the start of the dinner they just sort of sat there awkwardly yeah four just... of them around a massive oh, table Poirot was saying something about murder and crimes and stuff and then the, uh mrs waverley is disturbed by it and yeah she's not she's struck... not really listening because she's the only person really reacting to the fact that apparently <laughs> her son's going to be kidnapped tomorrow yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's not having a great time of it, is she? Yeah, Poirot was saying something. I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but he's talking about the, the, the criminal mind or something. And then when she, she tries to reply and falters, she apologizes and says, oh, it's very hard to make small talk. At time yeah, like yeah. Like, it wasn't really like, small talk. It was quite serious. He says something like, you know, every crime just comes down to the disposition of the people involved. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I can't talk about the fact that my son's going to be kidnapped how's your tomorrow. sister? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, at which point uh, young Johnny Waverley enters being taken to bed and to be honest i love that they only feel the need to guard him at the time when the kidnapper has specified like there's a lot of like he's just being you know he's just somewhere else he's fine he's fine, he's fine. most of this episode he has is people with him though he has a like yeah, he has but, a nurse like right? right at the beginning of the episode pyro says this is probably met one of the staff mm. so you would you know take some care I mean, you know, he's got his, his suave little dressing gown on and his little car. He's fine. He's <laughs> Anti-climb dressing gown. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in with his little toy car and he's never met Hastings, presumably. He just immediately gives it to Hastings. He, he looks at it and goes, whoa, what a good car. <laughs> he goes to his dad first and his dad kisses him goodnight and then he just runs to Hastings and says, this is my car, gives it to him and almost without stopping, we straight past yeah, him. Well. Yeah, he's just like, here's a distraction, bye. <laughs> But yeah, and I, Hastings is delighted by this. Yeah. Obviously, I'm wondering whether maybe the car forms like you know one of those like a lizard's tail, where if someone grabs it, it breaks off. <laughs> like maybe it's like here's a distraction car, goodbye. <laughs> and like the kidnapper would pick up the car, the little wind up car. It's great. So you know it would fool Hastings. <laughs> Hastings was the kidnapper. This would have worked. Yeah, yeah it done. really would have done. Um, so. Oh, and then they carefully scoop out single potatoes for everybody to get one potato. <laughs> I did notice, I didn't know why at the time, but um, when Mrs. Wavy has served her potato, she has a kind of sour expression on her face. Um, 
And I thought she was just sort of generally not really fancying the food and I think it was Which very makes good. sense, right? Like she's the only um, person who's really reacting to any of this. Yeah, but um I didn't really register that, that this was a, that the meal before them was in was in any way inadequate, but apparently <laughs> we hear the next morning. <laughs> we'll definitely find out that. Well I thought that it was anyway, but then I felt guilty because I'd sort of <laughs> forgotten how this played out and so I was like, Oh no, I'm oh, like this massively greedy, like, you know, <laughs> seventy years in the future person and you know, like I was just having that moment of, Oh, a single potato, people used to be satisfied with that and it's like, No, <laughs> Not these people, anyway. It was an inadequate dinner. It was. Um, one potato and one cutlet. <laughs> Hastings is a, a small cutlet. Oh, yeah. And then, and then we cut to <laughs> one of Chris's favourites, which is just sleeping Poirot. Sleeping Poirot. <laughs> he's he's gripping the sheets for dear life. Well, he lies on his back, doesn't he? Probably so as not to mess up his moustache. <laughs> I know, yeah, but he's holding onto the sheets as well, probably to prevent himself from rolling. <laughs> um, uh, but he's disturbed in the night by a a a, 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 a clattering a, lady with a kettle. Yeah, just a, <laughs> almost. So I really do want to give um, extra of the episode uh, to my friend Dom. Really, and that's biased. Um, mostly for giving that little car to Hastings. Uh, it's not an episode that otherwise has, I think, a fabulous extra. Um, but it does have this woman with a kettle who just basically spent, so a lot of good, a lot of good Poirot extras are going to be people who spend a lot of time still going after their little moment is done. <laughs> and she has a good moment of like, the, the meat of her appearance is that she runs past holding a kettle. But the best thing is that she's still there in the background, just running down a corridor with a kettle long after <laughs> the scene has changed its focus to somebody else, which is the sign, I think, of a good extra. She is both, she's both hurrying and trying to be stealthy and carrying something <laughs> heavy. Yeah. Which, uh, gives Scurrying, her a bizarre I think gait. is the word, isn't it? And then when she tr- sees Pryor, she tries to do sort of a bow, I think. So it's a strange. Like at the top yeah, of the Yeah, she, she gets, she adds the fourth challenge to what she's already doing, which is, <laughs> I have to like smile and nod in a way that looks like I acknowledge the three other things that I'm trying to do. This is like, <laughs> hey, get all sneak and run. They had bugs with this in like Uncharted 4, where they have this really sophisticated animation blending technology and like when, um, uh, when Drake is supposed to be sort of heavily panting from recent exertion, but then he's also like pushing his hand through his hair, but also he's standing on a rock, so he's got to be doing part of the crouch animation and try and layer <laughs> these all these different animations on top of each other, and often it goes wrong. She does a fabulous job of it, regardless. She really tries. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's great. But it turns out that it's food cramps she's, that Mrs. Waverley is having. She's woken up with food cramps and needs a massive kettle. Right, so. <laughs> Food cramps is a polite upper class way of saying she's got poops, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's happening. Yes, Mr. Waverley comes barreling down the corridor, screaming, Burrow, don't worry, go back to bed, she's got the bad poops! <laughs> <laughs> My wife, Ada! Aww. She's got the bad poops! He screams. But yeah, and then cut to, <laughs> cut to sad breakfast. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is this is also a vital subplot in its own way, yeah. and a kind of strange one. <laughs> yeah, this comes. This ties into a lot of things. Um, Hastings is already down at breakfast eating what I took to be scrambled eggs, but um, after Poirot passes him and investigates the um, uh, array of sort of it's like a, a breakfast buffet mm. um, and inquires as to what it is, Hastings says, um, "I think it's kedgeree." Uh, there's certainly rice in here, but I can't find anything else. <laughs> so Which I think is just rice. rice. Yeah. <laughs> just had a bowl of rice for uh, breakfast. Also, they look so sad about Paro, it. So Paro sometimes uses 
excitement about sort of domestic things or meals or things to kind of mask his actual intentions. He does this exact thing later in an episode or like, just, you know, but in this case, I think he genuinely is excited for the English breakfast. Like he says, mm. like a time for the English breakfast. And then is he's so disappointed implicitly. He's so disappointed that it's just rice <laughs> that he, him and Hastings, because they never actually say they're going to do this, but they do do this. Him and Hastings make a plan to drive into the village to get an actual breakfast that isn't going to happen yet but that's not a ruse like this what i'm saying is that isn't like a game he's playing so that the pieces fall into place para really wanted a proper country english breakfast and he didn't get one so but he's he loves after the... his food it's not usually part of a ruse he gets really fussy if people don't prepare the right food he does like, he sometimes incorporates it into a plot but like you know i mean he goes to great lengths to secure a particular roast bird uh, <laughs> at one point in the in the future. That's true. And I guess when that's just you know that's how he ends up <laughs> caught up in a <laughs> in an affair. I, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes his sort of like uh, sort of joie de breakfast. Joie de, I was going to say joie de vivre. Like some, sometimes his sort of like sort of what what appears to be a kind of carefree nature is masking his kind of way of remaining neutral in a situation, if you know what I mean, like as a detective. Like he's he's being like, oh, don't mind me, I just want breakfast. But that's all part of but his, really oh, I'm wants- a harmless foreigner kind of shtick. Yes. But you he, this, see what I mean? Like he plays on their sort of stereotyping in some ways. But he yeah. really wants that breakfast. He really wanted the breakfast and he's not happy with the rice to the this extent is- that he is willing to endanger the safety <laughs> of a child. And regardless of what he thinks is happening no, at this point. No, they are going for some other reasons. Are they? Yes. But we should probably... Yeah, we'll get there, we'll get there. We should probably address Tom's queries about the bathing practices of the the upper classes as well. Oh, wait, uh, before that, uh, Hastings' reaction to the breakfast, which he's very unhappy with, um, uh, is what clues him into um, a general opinion that uh, he thinks the Waverleys might be short on money. Because that's when he brings up the thing about, did you see last night a single potato and one small cutlet? Um, and then subpar kedgeri for breakfast. They must be broke. <laughs> so yeah, and, but while they're doing all of this, Mr. Waverly like ends up coming in while berating his butler and mm. is sort of wanting everybody summoned, all of the staff summoned so that he can have a massive pop at them because a letter has arrived while he was in the bath, of all things. And found it in his bedroom, right? Mm. Pinned to his pillow, which mm. is a weird, <laughs> weird thing to do. Um, yeah, he had a bath for 10 minutes. Yeah, it's coming back from a bath and it couldn't have been more than 10 minutes. So that so seems what? rapid for a bath. Yeah, and also... It's quite fast for a shower. <laughs> Well, like, you know, sometimes when I'm at an exercise class and you guys are recording the podcast, I take that opportunity to have baths that last an hour and a bit. <laughs> like, I'll Podcast hear that baths. you're still podcasting and I'm like, I have got time. <laughs> like, if you haven't even done questions yet, I can get in that bath for quite some miles. <laughs> so, yeah. So this idea that someone will just get in the bath for 10 minutes. That implies to me it's not a, an enjoyable bath. Yeah, I suppose um, in the pre-shower era, mm. then the bath would have to serve that purpose as well when you just need to quickly clean. You just have to sort of throw yourself into it <laughs> and scramble back out. And if it's an old house with like, maybe there's no plumbing in his bathroom or something so that it would have had to be the lady who was up for the kettle cramps doing, <laughs> you know, like lugging up big 
amounts of hot Endless water kettles and in stealth you know, mode. So he's managed to get like what a toes worth of water. So he's just like, right, <laughs> ten minutes it is then. <laughs> just luxuriate in this inch of water. But yes, anyway, so there's a new demand and a new sort of threat and and it's definitely come from within the house, because how else could they have gotten to his pillow, etc., etc., etc.? And so all of the staff must be fired. <laughs> the letters are coming from inside the house. They are. <laughs> he says that, that um, I'll fire the bloody lot of them or something. And um, then immediately sort of uh, caveats that with, well, obviously not not Treadwell. And obviously not, uh, <laughs> Yeah. what's the lady's name? Miss uh, Mrs. Cr- Collins, Collins, yeah. Um, and it, so you're thinking like, Fire all of them except for these two exemptions. Mm. <laughs> and I was going to thinking, how many staff does he have? Because if it's three, this is not much of a fire all of them. Fire Stewart. <laughs> well, but then, it, it actually looks like he has about eight. Yeah. Well, Jap uh, arrives. Like apparently he's decided to take it seriously, but he arrives when they're in the process of doing the firing, doesn't he? Yeah. So I don't really get why Jap arrives. So Jap arrives yeah. not just not just Jap with like a van full of bobbies. Yeah. Like a full, like, baker's dozen of bobbies. Maybe he's just got nothing else to do. Yeah. And it's like, uh, slow so day. I, I was assuming, so I assumed at the beginning of this scene that, like, Jap knew something that Poirot didn't and was there to stop something. You know what I mean? Mm. That some, some additional thread had led Jap to this point. Because actually, I, I, I don't think it's ever explained, like, why he goes from, like, this is not a, this is, he even says, you know, this is not a threat to public order to, I will drive, an hour and a half out of London with a van full of men. Mm. I don't understand how that link works. Yeah, I didn't know why he did that. I think this is one of the episodes that doesn't really hang together, mm. mostly. Like, you know, like I was saying about the the fact that these demands have absolutely no specifics, you know, it's, it's you can see why you wouldn't take that seriously. Yeah, and I guess and the, they- only, the only implication here is that Jap's been mulling it over and is like do you know what even if it's only a small chance i don't you know especially given maybe it's only a really short window like it's like okay fine i'll get there at quarter to 12 i'll stay till quarter past <laughs> yeah, 12 yeah. i'll have a nice lunch <laughs> and i'm going off <laughs> and they they post policemen around the manor all the entrances and the barn and all these different places which makes sense but Given that there is a single point of risk in this <laughs> yeah. problem, which is the child, my friend Dom, all you do is you surround him with policemen. Yeah. You just or have lock him up. I would say it only takes at most two cops. Like, I would say one cop could probably do it, but at yeah. most two or standing next to the child for the duration. Do, <laughs> you do what you would do probably nowadays if you really believed a credible threat about somebody. You take the kid to the police station. <laughs> yes, the that's what I said, lock him up. Or put uh, him in a panic lock, room. Lock him up. You know? Lock him up, maybe. <laughs> Arrest the boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? There are places that would be like, obviously. Yeah, remove him. Yeah. Say that, you know, is there a, you know, a, a family member's house we could all go to? And then, you, yeah, and you just sit him in a circle of bobbies and he can play with his little car because it's all he wants to do. Mm. Dom. And, you know, everything else is fine. That's not what they do. They, they disperse the guards around the manor. Well, Could have taken the kid to breakfast at that pub. That's true. <laughs> it would have been well, fine. That's the thing, because Poirot and Hastings have gone off into like the local village, haven't they? Yeah. Because, and so they they do happen to end up getting breakfast. More than breakfast. Sounds like a good one. They they are there to, to check in with the people who were doing the restoration on the house. Ah, mm. yes. And to find out what had been happening there, because it's not continuing at this point in time. And mm. 
So they learn that the project was kind of halted and I, I, you know, that the money was coming from Mrs. Waverley rather yeah. than Mr. And the builder thinks that she didn't really care about uh, restoring the house. Mm. So I think, you know, you get the impression that maybe Mrs. Waverley was sick of, you know, chucking good money after bad mm. and that, you know, there's, there's that, that builds up the case of, Maybe money worries or maybe, you know, money that is wanted for a particular thing. Um, but yeah, then they essentially do the equivalent of going to the village Weatherspoons and getting <laughs> a full English and a pint. <laughs> so <laughs> this is an extraordinary little sausages. <laughs> yeah. So Pyro is delighted that he's going to get what, like a massive plate of eggs with sausages and bacon and liver. And deviled mm. kidneys. And deviled kidneys. That's what he's having. Oh yes. Um, bacon. Crispy. The whole, the whole thing really feels like a post night out breakfast to me. Like him, <laughs> it is like about as close as we get to like full lads on tour with the boys. Yeah. And, and he's it, offered a, a, the option of a pint to go with it. And he's just like beer for breakfast. And then Hastings are sores too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um hastings bearing in mind is driving yeah. <laughs> and they have to be back by noon because that's when the child will be killed <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then you know we sort of cut to them having a really drunken drive yeah. home basically. if you're thinking oh it's only one point maybe their alcohol tolerance is high nope <laughs> that's they not the case both absolutely trolleyed singing <laughs> one man went to mo yeah <laughs> They're singing one moment to Mo and swerving Hastings' car like to and from along a country road. And Poirot is thoroughly joining in with this. He's yeah, he is. It's not like Poirot's like above this kind of English silliness. He's in. So he must be properly ratted because he doesn't usually drink beer, does he? He's all about the fancy spirits. It's like creme de menthe and all of that. Yeah, yeah. That's what he likes. All of these sugary, you know, liqueurs is Poirot's tipple. Yeah, and yet there he is, lasered, swerving a car back and forth. Well, this is maybe why. He's like, his Weatherspoon's days are behind him. No. Yeah, the two for one. They really got him. Um, He even, like, makes a comment about the waitress. Like, we get, like, full, like, he says, you know. Does he? Yeah, he does. So it's like, like, what what a a delightful woman. I think he just, like, likes her because she was really obliging about the breakfast. I (laughs) I really think think that you're pinning, like, lads, lads, lads onto I just just felt like this was unusually irresponsible of both of them. Like, that that comment. I think it's about as as average for, for Hastings. Maybe, but there's an element of, like, priorities (laughs) because as we said that uh, actually Poirot is the one who takes the threat most seriously like he's the first one to say um it basically says that he thinks they will go through with it um do you think that he thinks that or do you think he knows something's going on and wants to be there yeah probably the latter but um uh yeah he does say to to Waverly when Waverly says oh you don't think I'll do it do you and he says I see no reason to doubt them Mm. yeah and and (laughs) basically I just Regardless of how seriously Pyro takes the threat or not, he sort of needs to be there for the resolution <laughs> yeah. of this thing. So Pyro just goes to get a breakfast pint and a huge fry up and then is late getting back. <laughs> I mean, he, he, they've timed it so that they would be back in time if the car didn't break down, but the car does break down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, like, cause partly, I guess, if Poro was properly freaked out by this and thought that it would happen, I, I genuinely think he wouldn't have, 
like had a pint he probably wouldn't have like much as it would have pained him he probably wouldn't have had the breakfast either I mean, but, and i suppose yeah the the pint part is um not actually related to why they're late like they're late because the car broke down which i don't think happened because he was drunk <laughs> well, although car- to be fair if he turns up trying to do detecting when he's just so flattered <laughs> that he's ha- having a sing-along <laughs> So like pull up, you know, pull up to the house, like properly, like essentially the two-person sound system cranked right up. <laughs> so there's a there's another thing here that I don't know if it's like a clever bit of just a clever gag hidden in the thing. But so the reason the car breaks down is because it runs out of fuel, but the fuel gauge is stuck mm. uh, at full. Um, earlier in the episode. Hastings kind of says that like, oh, I'll do 80 the entire way there or something, which I wonder if is because the speedometer is also <laughs> set to 80 all of the time. He just, thinks, <laughs> he's he's just thinks he's always doing 80. But he uh, does get there pretty early. So that implies he really did go fast. Yeah. Hastings <laughs> does go fast. Um, but, uh, but Pyro does abandon Hastings with the car and have to march across fields yeah. even as noon approaches and the guard is set up around little Johnny Waverley. Well, I thought there was quite a nice, like, cutting back and forth at that point because as Poirot is sitting sort of primly and angrily by as, as Hastings tries to work out what's wrong with the, the engine and is getting progressively more oily and greasy and messy, um, jabs back at the house going, Mm, Mr. Poirot is good at the brain stuff, but not the rough stuff. <laughs> and it's like, could not have been more correct. Yeah. Jab. <laughs> yeah. Jab does divide police work into brain stuff. No, is, is it brain work and rough stuff? Yeah. It's rough stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Which is, those are the two kind of character stats to be keeping an eye on. <laughs> but yeah. And then the boy goes upstairs to stroke a cat for a time. Mm. That's, which that cat has got. A microphone on it. <laughs> yeah, it's allowed. They mic'd up that purring cat. that's happening right there. It just sort of happens like constantly without break. It doesn't seem to be in response to anything. It's just sort of <laughs> some interesting foley work on that cat. I think but, the cat's yeah. receiving a text message for quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mr. Waverly sort of scoops Johnny away in a, a an overly yeah, suspicious because, fashion. Yeah, because he'll be happier downstairs. Yeah. I mean, like, he's already petting a cat. It doesn't uh, get much happier than that. <laughs> like, oh no, you can't stay up here with two people that you trust implicitly, <laughs> your mother and, you know, the... What does Mrs. Cotton... Was she a, like, a lady's maid or... Yeah, perhaps, because she's not the nurse, is she? The nurse gets fired. Yeah. So, but yeah, so Mr. Waverley bundles the child downstairs and... actually kind of funny that, like, when the nurse is fired, um, she says, oh, what happened to uh, Johnny? And um, Mr. Waverley replies that Mrs. Collins will uh, be in Mrs. Collins' care. Doesn't mention the mother. (laughs) 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 What emergency measures could we take to look after this child? Uh, I guess another member of staff can look after They don't want to actually (laughs) touch or play with their own children. That would just be so gauche. But yeah, so he's like, and they bundle him downstairs and he's just like the focus of everybody's attention and he just winds this car up yeah, he, for like he's 10 He's not minutes. aware that anything is unusual. <laughs> I wonder, like, it would be really interesting to ask Dom whether he was really self-conscious about having everyone just staring <laughs> at him. It's such a weird sequence. I remember car. thinking this as we were watching it. It's such a strange, <laughs> because they're all watching the clock because they believe that, like, he's going to vanish at midday. <laughs> like, he, you know, his timer is going to expire. Like, um, he's winding up the toy car and the clock is winding towards noon and the and Jap is looking at at uh, at Waverley, and Waverley is looking at the policeman. They're looking out of the window, and they're looking at the boy. And Dom is looking at the car, and <laughs> and it's such a bizarre kind of 
adults in a ridiculous situation. <laughs> it goes on a while as it well. It does, yeah. It's like the last 20 seconds. And it keeps cutting <clears throat> from the clock ticking to the hand winding the car mm. to the we clock We get it. Ticking. They're both clockwork well, mechanisms. And, so, the <laughs> and then it made to me... Poirot trying to hitch a lift from a post van. <laughs> the thing it made me think is that in another TV show, that would be the kind of cinema cinematographic kind of shorthand you would use to establish that there was a bomb in the toy car you know what i mean like it would be like one of these and then johnny explodes would have been a good twist Poirot only survives because of their car breakdown but then noon comes and goes safe job done child protected yeah you don't um, sound convinced, Tom. Well, isn't it right around then that they rush in saying they found someone? Yeah. yeah so There's a they... man in the bushes. I thought it was going to be Poirot. I thought it was going to be Poirot because he was coming over there. It's an irate Belgian. <laughs> but it's not, it's a vagrant. Um, yeah, on hearing this news, uh, the chief of police... Um, uh, who else is there? Waverly, all of the policemen. Yeah, just everyone in the room rushes out, leaving the child alone. Which, <laughs> even before you know this is uh, not the culprit, already seems like a foolish move. And they find a <clears throat> a local gent who has been uh, who uh, they find uh, a guy with a pla- a paper bag with chloroform and a letter. <laughs> My first kidnapping, kidnapping kit, <laughs> exactly. Um, and he says, like, "I don't know what this was. I was just told to deliver it to the side door, Governor." <laughs> um, and uh, he seems to be telling the truth. Uh, and they sort of interrogate him by a tree for a bit. And this is my the best. There are a lot of good moments in this episode. But Waverly says something like, he leans in and says, "I don't know if he opens the letter, but he has something like." Um, you know, ha, you know, you've said I should pay to avoid this, but we've got you. I paid for nothing at all. At which point a car goes past with Johnny in the window, <laughs> like banging on the like, window. Like, he's banging, but at first it looks like he's waving. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's, there he goes. And they just watch this. Yeah. They're yeah. just like, they're they surprised, but they have no reaction. No to one it. runs to well, a Well, there goes the child we're supposed to protect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Alfie just like, yeah, full like, drive-by of the entire manor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's a really long time. Yeah. Well, and then they cut to the um, the local... Uh, is it, like, the, maybe the train station clock or the, like... It, essentially, a, a legit working clock starts chiming noon exactly as Johnny Waverly does his little drive-by <laughs> waving. So it's like, oh, no! They did manage to do all of the things! <laughs> and, like, that... Uh, that detail is um yeah so it turns out that the the house clock has been set forward 10 minutes um that detail really feels like going beyond the pale because there's no particular reason you need to have abducted him at the time you said you're going to <laughs> like well, who this is this is england tom <laughs> you need to pre-book a kidnapping window and then kidnap the child within that window or it's just not on but particularly <laughs> given how this works out like i don't know why kidnapping him at the precise predicted time is necessary and even if it was like if you said 12 and then at 12, they find someone on the grounds, they rush off, and that's when you kidnap the son. It's like within, it's not even really 10 past 12, it's like really within the window, I would say. No one's going to be like, oh, come on, like seven minutes late? That's bullshit. <laughs> it feels like it's try- It's caught somewhere between a, a more traditional Poirot episode, I guess, and a Jonathan Creek episode. That's kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it feels like the reveal for whatever that would be fleshed out is that... 
oh, but it was only, you know, we only assumed that it was noon because the clock went off. What if, you know, and then suddenly everyone's reality yeah. is turned on its head. It's four and... in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the plot. It's not far of off, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the Jonathan Creeks. It's like, oh, okay, sure, why not? So... And Jonathan Greek's sometimes good at that. Um, like, I, you know, I love those puzzles where it's like this thing that seems completely impossible nevertheless happened. So you've got to figure out the explanation, no matter how obtuse and weird it gets, you know, it's going to be obtuse and weird. So you, you kind of go in with that knowledge and sometimes it's hard to figure out anyway. But then often they commit basically the same crime, which is they forget to explain why it was necessary to do it that way. Like there's one where someone appears to have been sort of, um, murdered in, in like a locked like bricked up in a in a house oh yeah and it's completely That's baffling death one, isn't it but um and it turns out that he uh, killed himself in that way but there's no explanation as to why he wanted his suicide to be totally baffling to everybody <laughs> like it doesn't seem to have any motive for it i think it yeah no i think they do sort of explain it but in a hand wavy kind of i mean sure that'll just be the end of it kind of a way as hmm. in you know wanted it to to be a mystery or so i can't i really can't remember with that one but yeah there was a, i think they do give like a cursory explanation for it but um anyway yeah so is this the point at which poro arrives back and he's just really sort of yeah he's quite chill about the whole thing he's having a foot bath <laughs> uh, to tired. ease his tired feet and um waverly is uh somewhat upset uh, about this and I think I think at this point I twigged to who what was going on but I did feel for Mrs. Waverly because Pyro has twigged to what's going on you've got everything you need as an audience I think to have gotten it probably ages ago really but but Mrs. Waverly's genuinely upset because she was afraid that her child would be kidnapped and then her mm. child was kidnapped and she's genuinely upset and she you know and she finds Pyro just having a lovely foot bath <laughs> I think that's one of the things where this stuff if so if you weren't taking it as a jolly murder mystery or, you know, <laughs> mer- jolly mystery rather, um, you know, and, and started sort of poking at characterization and all of that stuff, Poro comes off as cruel because it's like, if he has an inkling for this, like, or, you know, yeah, he essentially just sort of says, look, they want your child alive so that they can ransom him. So he'll be fine. But it's like, that's not a great, you know, if <laughs> you think that child hasn't really been kidnapped, then I, I don't know. It feels a bit like sometimes you end up, um, if you start looking into the motivations and stuff, it's a lot more about being clever than it is about being kind sometimes. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, um, but I, and he's got that little towel on his lap, and I don't know why, because it's it, like it's a foot bath, and he then he doesn't use it when he takes his feet out. He just like, lets all the water go on the floor. I'm like, what? No, terrible guest. And then he puts on his Harry Potter slippers. <laughs> his little monogrammed HP slippers. Yeah, <laughs> I love how Hastings clocks them. He's just like. <laughs> like it's apparently when, like, that's not Poirot okay. is 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 telling Hastings he's got oil on his face basically from fixing his car and Hastings I'm not entirely sure but my read on what Hastings reaction was that he knows and he's treating this as as Poirot kind of mocking him and so he just looks at Poirot's slippers <laughs> as if to say <laughs> you're one to talk <laughs> I think also Hastings just finds Poirot's like peccadillos quite sort of just baffling because they're just not what he would do in that scenario like he doesn't sort of understand the obsession with the moustaches or with the you know the 
the wardrobe or the mm. you know like all of that stuff is yeah. a bit just it's, oh, it's just Poirot doing Poirot things <laughs> but yeah oh he's so cute though with his slippers but then don't they go and talk to the the dude from the bushes they do yes they interview bushes man who says do you remember that, his name because i uh, know yeah god i can't now it, it's very said once and then never mentioned again um <laughs> so he was hired by someone with a with he says like a queer voice or something um who hired him to deliver the chloroform <laughs> to the side door at exactly 10 to 12 he looked like the toffee-nosed man in the monkey so this, suit this this is says. a huge leap i think <laughs> this is a gigantic yeah. leap and it gets more of a leap the more but so he rec- the person he doesn't recognize the person although they had like a grey suit and a moustache and um a strange voice hastings deduced that they're dressed like a driver? Or yeah, they're dressed oh, like, like a, a chauffeur. chauffeur yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he says that whoever it was could have been the son of the toffee nose chap in the monkey suit, by which he means the butler. Mm. Whose name Treadwell. Is Treadwell. Um, but Treadwell does not have a son. But, and it also uh, couldn't so have been Treadwell because he was. Outside. I appreciate the family resemblance as a thing. <laughs> I don't want to just pick holes, but I don't think. And presumably this guy's never been to the house before, like not a lot. Yeah. So he's only ever seen the butler once. No, because if he's from the village, the butler would have had to go into the village to do like the I guess, maybe. I feel like you're being generous to say that you'd look at someone and go like, that could be that person's son. I don't think so. Particularly, like, well, that person has successfully disguised their gender. They've they've fooled this person into thinking they're a a man, but haven't successfully disguised their parentage. Yeah, so spoilers, (laughs) it's not Treadwell's son. But... (laughs) Yeah, that, so yes, it becomes more of a stretch the more you think about it, I think, but yeah. Mm. That he would recognise. So this, this casts suspicion on Treadwell, but Treadwell doesn't have a son, so it's sort of disregarded for the time mm. being. Mm. Is there anything else that we learn from that guy? I can't remember. Like, I think... Not really, although Poirot now feels like he has everything he needs, I think, apart from the tunnel. Well, yeah. And then that's the point at which Jap just decides that he's going to lock up the the Bushman and then go back to London. It's just like, yeah, sure, he'll be... Like, the child will be in London. Everyone goes <laughs> yeah. to London. Jap it's is, fine. Jap is convinced that, like... And he says, oh, I think you'll find Poirot that the child will be in London. It's, like, it's not. <laughs> it's not, though, is it? I wonder how much of that <laughs> is, like, like... You know when... I live in London. Yeah, <laughs> I would exactly. like to be home now. <laughs> it's like, oh, do you know what? I'll I'll check uh, for this thing in you know whatever location it is you quite fancy the the food. <laughs> Wherever or, my computer is, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, how about if I uh, if I tidy bed and uh, you tidy the kitchen? <laughs> and I find I bet I need to immerse myself into the tidying situation, like really tidy from within the bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really need to assess the, the state of the problem. We really need to look for your son it. at my house. Yeah. <laughs> Alone. Over dinner. <laughs> Are you trying to seduce me? <laughs> so, so, actually, that reminds me, because we just, we ended up just sort of um, role playing out there a situation where there's something going on between uh, Jap and Waverly. Uh, and actually, that is my pet theory about the first time they meet at the beginning of the episode. There's the, they're, they're cross at each other and they're, they're meeting across some certain social uh, lines, but I think there's a little something going on. In oh, this. you think there's like a forbidden romance between Waverly and Jap? Yes. Waverly gets very flustered very quickly. He does. Says, yeah. uh, you're not only something, but you're damn. Not offensive. only a bad policeman, but you're damn offensive. <laughs> he's, but he's sort of br- it's breathy. It's like, ooh. 
And exactly. like maybe Jap has a thing for what a country squires who object <laughs> to people not doing their tax paying duty. And that's why know? he shows up in the nick of time. He does, yeah. Ah, he's like, I've been thinking about that's actually this. What I, I thought I would come round your house. Oh wait, other people are here. Oh well. <laughs> I brought twelve police officers. <laughs> <laughs> To, to keep up the ruse. They're just here to make me feel better if you reject me. <laughs> They're always beards. <laughs> oh, God. That's this not is, how that works. No, I don't <laughs> so anyway, so just if you're watching this episode, just watch out for that. There's a little something going on there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what? So this is the point where Pyro investigates the room from which Johnny vanished? I yeah. Think? yeah, kind of. He actually has um, a chat with Treadwell uh, in oh, the meantime. Because essentially you find out two things. One is just that there's such a thing as an underfootman, which sounds <laughs> like they're getting in the way all of the time. <laughs> Um, Heaven's yes. sake, Treadwell. It doesn't sound like lying down well, from my bedroom like door. It's of his name because he's Treadwell, but he's an underfootman. I can just imagine like the footman attending to the, the master's feet and then the underfootman just lying under the feet. <laughs> They're slippers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and we also find out that he thinks that Mrs. Waverley is kind of a bit nouveau riche and not our sort at all. Yeah, yeah, which is a slightly foolhardy thing for him to reveal at this stage of the game, yeah. <laughs> given how it works Well, out. I think if anything, then our master's very suspicious and definitely as a motive because <laughs> like he sort of pays lip service to it almost just being like oh she's a fine woman but also uh, yeah oh. she's like this family is not how she was raised but um, I think she's coming to see the Waverly way yeah the shade of it all <laughs> But yeah, so so that's the kind of like okay, yeah, sure, fine. Like reiterate or re, you know reassert those points, and then and then we go and talk about priest holes. So you know. yes, so Poirot correctly asserts that it's difficult to kidnap Johnny from the drawing room where he was being guarded because outside of the French windows is policeman, and inside the house is policeman. So where could he possibly have gone? Wait, no, we forgot one of the best things, which is after he, um, after he's been talking to Treadwell, he goes to pick up Hastings to talk him through these things. Oh, yeah. But he finds him doing some detecting of his own, and it's the cutest thing, because he's asking loads of absolutely, like, directionless questions of Mrs. Collins. Oh. And, like, Poirot just sort of listens at the door for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Poirot listens in at the door and then decides to enter, but then when he enters, pretends to be surprised that they're there. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, did you learn anything? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sweet. And then they just have a little chat and Poirot kind of talks him through the fact that, you know, there must have been a different way out because otherwise, you know... Uh, it doesn't make any spotted. sense. Yeah. yeah. So that's the point at which they reveal that there's, you know, a priest hole in the house that, you know, you could use to get out of the house, uh, you know, forbidden worship and forbidden sort of priests would be yeah. able to exit swiftly without being caught. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so Hastings and Pyro do investigate the priest hole tunnel. Uh, you should get one of them, Tom. You should get one of the secret library doors and things. <laughs> Why me specifically? <laughs> I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like the kind of person who might need to shelter priests. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like... Well, do, hang on. Do you own your house? Yes. Right then. That yeah, the automatically only one among us. puts you, like, <laughs> one up on one us. I could install one if I wanted to, yeah. 
Marsh might be a bit suspicious. If you probably need planning permission wait. for that, though, if it's going to go under. <laughs> <laughs> you could always just have like one of those, uh, you know, fake library doors. But I mean, without anything behind it, it's just a weird <laughs> door that is propped against have, your wall. There's like a little hatch between my kitchen and my lounge. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. could call that a priest hole if you like. <laughs> you could fit a priest through there in a hurry if you had to. <laughs> They'd just be in the lounge rather than the kitchen, yeah. or vice versa. As, as long yeah. as whoever's searching for the priest only checks one room at a time, we're yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. Depends on the exact rules of this priest hunt. So I, yeah, no, if up. they start off in the kitchen and then go through to your living room, the time that it takes, the, yeah. the priest would have to dive through the, the so window. slightly fast. It's faster if you mm. can do it elegantly. If you're wearing, yeah. like, a priest's full garb, it might be difficult. Yeah, it's going to be difficult in a cassock. I sometimes use that hatch to reach through for slices of pizza <laughs> when I'm in your in your living room and there's pizza yeah, in A pizza hole. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, they decide to investigate with the uh, lamps of the pocket, which is yes. the cutest. <laughs> so yeah. Um, um, and they get, they off, <laughs> off they march down this tunnel. Halfway down the, the tunnel, Pyro <laughs> announces that he's bored of this tunnel. <laughs> And wants to get to the other end, which they do, only to emerge next to the mausoleum yep. in the grounds where there is conveniently two tyre tracks stretching off <laughs> to well, the I mean, horizon. it's not really conveniently. It's that that was where the car was. So that feels like no, that's true. reasonably. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, reasonably. But at this point, Pyro does declare the entire thing a farce. Right. So mm. I want to raise one thing, though. It's like, sure, you can get out of the house to the mausoleum in a hurry if you really want to. But that tunnel goes both ways. So things could come from the mausoleum into your living room. <laughs> I'll just leave you with that. That's a concern. Terrifying. Well, you know, it's like you might not want your rallies turning up unannounced and That's dead. True. Your rallies. Your relatives, do you not? Have you never used that You know, the skelly From context, I I guess that that's what they were short for, but I've never heard that abbreviation before, no. I've never heard that before either. not read enough. (laughs) You haven't read enough trashy, like, teen girl magazines. That was one of the sort of, like, hip abbreviations that has apparently stayed with me. It wasn't cool back then. It's definitely not cool now. (laughs) Damn it. <laughs> the bones of your ancestors, also known as the relatives. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so they make this like mile round trip from the mausoleum back again, right? Yeah. To the mausoleum and back again. And um, yeah, I can't remember what happened at that point. I'm just going to check my notes. My so yeah, they, they wander back to the grounds, at which point um, Poirot gets back. And is immediately packing his bag to return mm. to London. Oh, wait, no, this is the point where... So when they emerge into daylight and Poirot is dusting himself down and Hastings down, he goes, oh, he... it's a farce! That's, yes, yes. It, that's his moment of realisation. Mm. But but Hastings doesn't understand and it's all so cute. And, <laughs> and Poirot's like, no, you are so naive. And that's to your credit. And then, like, dusts, imaginary like, pats, dust off his <laughs> shoulder. He pats Hastings, which Hastings likes. <laughs> he's a good boy he's he a good boy uh, but yes by the time they get back to the house Pyro's already kind of packing to leave which he's not really he's sort of he, he's mostly doing this I think to get a rise out of Waverley yeah, mm. yeah. Who, which succeeds because Waverley is immediately furious <laughs> where are you going my child is gone yep and uh, Pyro says um, I will write down for you the address and then hands him what turns out to be a blank piece of paper <laughs> which is not really what he said he was going to do. <laughs> like, he's got a point to make, but this is not really... As you English people say, psych. <laughs> uh, 
and uh Waverly points this out and then he says i'm waiting for you to write it down um which is a very circuitous way of saying i think you know where your son is and boy does he yeah well they then because doesn't he sort of pressure him into taking them because it's like otherwise i'll tell your wife yeah take us along to where the kid is and it transpires that he's being looked after by who we thought well i mean she was his nurse or his nanny or whatever um but it transpires that she is also the niece of treadwell and has just been sort of looking after johnny in, in a cottage, cottage in the woods yeah like in a yeah just it's quite nice she's quite wearing a gray garden, suit but... when we meet her which suggests that she's been posing as that gray suited chauffeur wearing yeah. a fake mustache maybe that's just her living her truth I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm not saying she's that it's not. A chauffeur. <laughs> yeah, that's I, what she does with her time. It's yeah, fine. maybe she's a spare time chauffeur. That's the thing. Mm. Um, an Uber driver, if you will. Um. <laughs> <laughs> she's way ahead of her time. Yeah, I think maybe that was the only reason the guy thought that she was a bloke was that it was just so rare to have a female chauffeur in those days that he was. Yeah, maybe he only looked at her knees or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> like deferential doffing of a cap and like all you see really is someone's like, you know, lower legs and <laughs> sort of when like, they well. hire you on the spot to make a suspicious delivery. Yeah. It's like, I'll give you a tenner to go. Well, no, because it would have been a lot more than that at the time, right? It would have been, yeah, it would have been a yeah, lot of money. Like crazy amount of money. Um, but yeah, so there she was with her tenors and her chauffeur outfit and her child, uh, <laughs> her other person's child. And, um, yeah, so Boparo chooses to let Waverly off the hook, mm. pretty much. In a sort of don't do it again kind of way. Yeah. Well, no, it's because he kind of, he sort of gets out of it by saying, oh, well, you know, you seem like a good father and that's mm. the end. Like, <laughs> this is you know and if if he's gonna just sort of you know treat other people you know terribly you know he uh, to make this plan work he sacked you know poisoned four his or wife. five people <laughs> yeah poisoned his wife just to get her out of the way caused her untold you know distress and like <laughs> she pooped a lot <laughs> The whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous. But Poirot's like, I can see that you're a good father, so I won't, I won't dob you in this time. But like, don't, don't do it, do it again. again. And just wants to, darling, Johnny's missing again. I need another twenty quid. Be done with it. And he's just like, oh well, I, you know, I trust that you'll be able to lie your way out of this. It'd be fine. And then he says, I'll send you my rates, which is so obviously Poirot's charging for this service. Yeah, but he's going to have to get that money from his wife. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's like, oh, you've got money troubles and I'm not going to exacerbate them, except here's my, here's my probably rather sizable bill. <laughs> but I just, oh, I don't know. But this is the but thing. I'll one oh, less potato next dinner. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you think potatoes cost? <laughs> well, maybe it'll go up on the mantelpiece next to that one, <laughs> one pound, uh, one shilling, like, check that he's got. I have. Um, just trouble reconciling the size of the house, the eight staff that they have, <laughs> and the fact that potatoes would be where they skimp <laughs> like when they're short on money. And kedgery, sub- substandard kedgery. Yeah, well, I, yeah, just rice pudding at that point, really, is it? Or just rice. Um... I, that said, I suppose this might explain why firing a lot of his staff was part of his ruse as well. <laughs> Can't afford to keep them on. But I think, 
so I think at one point in a previous episode, Chris, you maybe said something about Poirot and like and the law being a, a constant. And this is this is part of what I mean about not. He kind of picks and chooses mm. when he feels obliged to do things by the book like he does bring jap in early on but as soon as like he's yeah presumably jap at this point is still looking for the child in love there's no reason to believe he is probably gone on to like looking for the child in a coffee shop looking for the child in a news agent looking for the child in the cinema yeah jap just pulled up and said i found him here he is just found some other child so look it's a child it's probably called johnny he's wearing the same cap he likes cars. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's part of it. Like, Poro just has his own morality. This is and... a strange one to make an exception for, though, because, like, yeah. it just doesn't seem like... He's an asshole who poisoned his <laughs> wife and kidnapped his child for purely selfish reasons. <laughs> yeah. It's just not like... to do up a house a bit. Yeah. And <laughs> also, like, there is a moment where it seems like Poirot kind of likes the guy because when... Um, Jap says, oh, so you, you hired Poirot, uh, did you? Um, Poirot says, oh, yes, he's a man of excellent intellect and fine taste. But actually, in retrospect, he should be really offended by that because this guy did not want the case solved and mm. he went to Poirot. So really, he was underestimating Yeah, Poirot's. I'm trying to figure out what exactly Waverly's endgame was. Like- so I, I, I was saying earlier, I didn't know why that it was necessary to specify the time. Now I realise it's probably because he wanted witnesses to the kidnapping so that they couldn't say he did it himself. So, yeah, I feel like he probably wanted, you know, like if, if you've got Poirot as a witness to say that you weren't involved or whatever, like I think he just thinks that he's smarter than Poirot and Poirot's kind of used to that because <laughs> that's what all of the people who commit these crimes think. Yeah, but think about it for a second. Like, so, He's obviously presuming to get his son back eventually. So was his plan that someone, possibly Pyro, finds Johnny? But Johnny no. wants, he wants them to pay up, right? Yeah, so the yeah. Money he wants goes to... his wife to find the money from somewhere and then give it to him to make the handoff. And yeah. then he just keeps it. And then, okay. but then it's like, a, where's but yeah. she going to think also, that he got the money for the repairs yeah. from? Yeah, also... Johnny will know where Johnny was. Johnny will know who was looking after Johnny. Yeah. Well, he it's doesn't the pers- say a single thing the entire episode. He does. Oh no, he he's says my car. <laughs> he does. He mumbles a bit. Let's yeah. not. Let's not scrim Dominic's acting credit here. Like <laughs> no speaking role. He does, he does speak, and he will know I was with my nanny in the woods. Like he knows that. That's not like I was with a stranger, and then Daddy came with the money and saved me. I it's, suppose maybe he's young enough that they could say, "Oh, I'm sure you were, son," or like maybe <laughs> it's or ten. Even, you know what I mean? Or maybe like, he would be like, "Oh, you know, this is a secret, so just don't worry, mummy, about it." Or so I don't know. It's all very flimsy. Yeah, it really is. It, it's, it's, thing, a, it's a bad plan. Basically, <laughs> the other thing that makes it such a, a bad one to sort of make an exemption for on Poirot's part um, is that his motives are so crappy they're not like it's not like he's desperately short of money and starving to death so he does this to get money uh, this is his wife's money so anything to do with the family to do with their, the health of their son or mm. upbringing she'd obviously be happy to fund that it's just that the renovations on the house he really wants to finish those and that's why he kidnapped his own son poisoned his wife fired all his staff so he just really wants that facade to look a bit better he's an asshole basically i, yeah. I mean like there are other the char- thing is though i think I'll be interested to know what you two make of some other iffy decisions Poirot makes <laughs> in later episodes for not the same reasons in any way, but like, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on, on why he does and doesn't do particular things. 
But yeah, like this one. It's like, really, you've dropped the ball on this one. That man needs to be in a prison. <laughs> like, and stop leeching money off his wife, who seems like a nice person who loves her child and has a nice cat. Like, what is... Oh. Yeah, it, it's, it's, adventure is a really strong word on this one. <laughs> but I love how, while all of this is unfolding and Poirot is being stern slash absolutely not that good at his job uh well no not not behaving within the uh the boundaries of what i think people should report to the police um but hastings is just sitting there like decked out in full driving leathers yeah. <laughs> like, just looking hastings really full oblivious. leather gear is it's the most amazing. dad thing in uh, out of what is already a very dad character he continues to be my absolute favorite yeah. in so many ways but um, Poirot <laughs> will not get the car with him back to london no no and like See, this is where my candidate for extra of the week comes in <laughs> because I feel like Dom maybe is a main character at this point. That's true. It's the right? episode is named for him. Exactly. So when Hastings is dropping him off at the station and saying, are you sure you don't want me to drive you back? Poirot's like, oh, you know, well, I'd rather get a train because when was the last time you heard about a train running out of coal? <laughs> and lol. Um, and then there's... <laughs> That's not quite the line. <laughs> and then there's just Ruffle. a... Smiley face, a, smiley face. There's Winky a silver-haired... <laughs> Slaps um, his thighs. <laughs> there's a silver-haired, like, platform assistant, train conductor guy um, who helps Poirot out as he turns to go in. But he's, like, he's there, like, giving a twinkly smile, like, appreciating the joke, you, you know. You really owned that, that leather, boy. <laughs> yeah, I wish you'd yell. Like, yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! And they all falling behind him like Beastie Boys. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I really like to just how he, you know, just you know helped out Poirot in that moment. He was his impromptu posse slash, you know, um, not wingman. What's that? Hype man or yeah. whatever? Yeah, yeah. So that's I think that's my candidate. But, That's right, and then we episode. never pick up with anything else that happened. We probably will never find out what happened in Le Mans. We will never <laughs> find out. Well, actually, no, we will probably return to Felicity Lemon's intricate filing system. <laughs> but like, you know, none of it is, uh, like, it's, it continues the tradition of not quite picking up on all of the threads that we, mm, yeah. we that are laid out at first. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an adventure of a day where nothing much is resolved several mm. crimes are committed yeah but not punished yeah <laughs> like, and there were some very unsatisfactory dinners yeah. one decent <laughs> breakfast <laughs> pyro and hastings got went drunk driving at 11 in the morning <laughs> yeah like i just uh, yeah it's an odd episode it is a weird it? one it's a yeah oh how do you feel about it tom um I liked this setup. I, mm. I was intrigued by this idea of like someone needs them to know about the kidnapping in advance, mm. but uh, the payoff was not so strong because it just felt like such a, uh, a ridiculous way to go about this plan. And also his motive is so weak. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird one. And also, like, I, as the person with the, with the notebook, I've ended up, like, I felt a bit like we were going through plot point by plot point more so than we ever have before, just simply because of the way it feeds out the, yeah, it's quite a thin the episode. You probably get everything you need to know about it right at the start as well, like. Yeah. So, and I think other shows have maybe done this particular thing better. Like, I, 
I haven't I don't I don't remember the short story it was based on so I might go back and read that and sort mm. of see if that's any better but four and twenty blackbirds next week exciting mm. four and twenty blaze it probably <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be 80 murders <laughs> 24 oh yeah it's french where it's four and 20 means 80 <laughs> maybe poirot will think it's 80 because <laughs> oh yes mm. uh but yeah so uh join us for that i guess that'll be nice it will mm. Mm. pleasant i might bake scones again yeah mm. exactly mm. <laughs> shall we say goodbye or shall i hang on do you what can you edit this bit out no wait i do the edit on this <laughs> interesting well this will stay in so <laughs> if you would like to hang on if you would like to what do we have for this uh it's mostly just uh listen next week maybe yeah. mention the patreon maybe but not no pressure patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar that's yeah for supporting the main crate and crowbar yeah. podcast which has the effect of supporting the side projects like this which, one yeah it lets us do these sorts of shenanigans keeps me in scones you know that kind <laughs> of that kind of thing uh, <laughs> and uh if you'd like to follow us individually uh i'm at philippa which is p-h-i-l-i-p-p-a-w-a-r-r tom is uh pentadact p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t and Chris is uh, C T H U R S T E N C Thurston. Cool. Uh, oh, and one more thing. Someone uh, that's Columbo. Pip. <laughs> oh, um, someone was actually asking on Twitter whether we were going to do the um, the new Murder on the Orient Express movie with Kenneth Branagh, K. Bran, Paul Bran, <laughs> and all of that lot. The sort of all star shenanigans um and i don't know about you two but i basically it hasn't been getting good reviews nothing i have read about it has made me want to go see it and that's not as a kind of oh there is only one person who can play poirot i mean i love david suchet's poirot but i'm open to other like interpretations (laughs) but this just doesn't sound like it has been done in a good way in an interesting way and also i have absolutely no desire to see johnny depp in anything but obviously i should probably consult with you two about what <laughs> i'm you've happy had to, to do. not do that and focus on the pyro we like yeah i don't plan to watch it Marvelous. it's particularly it's a very twist driven one as well <laughs> so it's not that in- interesting to watch a whole new production of it mm, i'll be interested to hear what other people who maybe do go and see it think but i it it isn't something that we're intending to do as part of this so uh this is very much a, a Suchet aficionado and a hugh fraser aficionado yeah. <laughs> experience it is most increasingly a hugh fraser aficionado experience <laughs> yes and pauline moran yeah who is, uh, we could just have the entire cast yes, and my friend well, dom <laughs> and the guy who plays arantia the necro lord in dark messiah and magic who's in this one um <laughs> oh what's chap's name in real life i've completely it's i'm blanking on oh, it it's gonna yeah, it's, philip jackman yes Philip, no, Philip Jackson. <laughs> Philip, Sorry, Philip Jackman. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking of all kinds of things. Anyway, anyway, I'm going to just stop this now. I wish we had an end tune. You're allowed to say so bye. Could, yeah, just bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>